0: This morning we're doing the sixth part of our study on the law. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you. I know that it's been a blessing to me, the things that God has been showing me. And I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This will be our, we have two, two, uh, I guess, key verses for this study this morning. I want you, we're going to start right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 3 3. Paul says to the church at Corinth, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. A born-again man, a born-again woman, a born-again young person, we are. One of the things we are is an epistle of Christ. That simply is a letter. It's a, it's a written document. Okay, A written message is what that, that word means. Not written with ink. And not written upon tables of stone. Like say the Ten Commandments. But with the Spirit of the living God. And upon the fleshly tables of the heart. Amen. This is going to be our key passage for today. But this describes, at least in part, what a man or woman is in Christ, who and what we are in the Lord. It describes what has happened in a person as a result of the new birth. This is not what happens to a person simply because they would uh, start going to church, or say, "I'm going to become religious," or or something like that. It's not. This is what's taken place. In the life of someone that is born again, in the life of an individual who by faith is trusted in Christ, and it's it's deals with the righteousness which is of faith, which we've talked about in the last week. How did Old Testament saints get saved? Well, they were saved by faith, just like we are. Amen. And it speaks of the righteousness of faith. The Bible says in Romans ten nine and ten. If you ever learned your Roman road, you know there was used to be a thing before you got go out witnessing, for example. You could learn the Roman road about Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. And some of these passages where it says, uh, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned that come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is all through Romans. And in Romans 10.9 and 10 it says, uh, But if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in our heart that God hath raised them from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. We talked about the righteousness of faith. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's part of the, the Roman road. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, You are the epistles of Christ. He didn't say you're churchgoers, he didn't say you're pretty good people, he didn't say you're religious. He didn't say anything like that. He says, You're the epistles of Christ, of the Lord, the working of God in our life, the righteousness which is of faith. This is the righteousness and the salvation and and the justification which comes by faith. Those that put their faith in the Lord, which cannot be, could not be, and cannot be obtained any other way. I know that we know that. I'm going to keep every time we will have a, a sermon or lesson. We'll, we'll lay a little more groundwork and then build on it, okay? Because God would really have us to understand these things. We're we're studying and we're learning what it means to be saved, what it means to be justified by faith, what place did the law play, if any, in that. And I think we're, we're clearing a lot of this up. But there is a righteousness which Paul is talking about, the epistles of Christ, which could not be, cannot be, and could not be obtained by The law; it could not be attained by works which men could do, good works which men could do before the law or any time, any dispensation. The righteousness of God, this new birth and this salvation, that could not be obtained any by any other means other than faith in the Son of God. That has always been God's way of justifying the ungodly. We talked about it. Old Testament saints look forward to His coming. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. We look back and we have a finished work of Christ on the cross. But it's still by faith. The Bible says, speaking about Old Testament saints. You know, in Hebrews 11, all the people that are mentioned there. We talk about them all the time. Moses and Rahab and Joshua and Enoch and and Noah. All of them that are mentioned. They're Old Testament saints. And the the chapter starts, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith, they obtained something. They obtained, it says of Noah, he became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith, because he obeyed God and built the ark, because he believed God when God told him what he was going to do. You understand my point? It's always been by faith. Justification by faith is not a new thing that God just came up with in the last 2,000 years since Jesus came. Uh, Mercy and grace are not new things that God came up with when Jesus came. The fullness of His grace have all we received. Understand that. But God has always been gracious or mercy or nobody would have ever been saved. Nobody would have been lived. We'd have sinned and we'd have dropped dead. You know, just too bad. You lived and died before Jesus came. Uh, he's always promised a Savior. And men looked forward to his coming Savior. That prophet that Moses spoke of. Are you that prophet? The Pharisees asked uh, John the Baptist when he was baptized at the Jordan. Are you that prophet? They knew exactly. what ca- Prophet with a capital P. You'll see it in your Bible. They knew there was a coming Messiah. God had promised him and men were saved even if they died before he came. By trusting in God and the righteousness of of Christ, Even though they didn't have the whole picture like we have. So, but this could not be accomplished by the law itself. So we've talked about that. Remember, we talked about the law, what could be accomplished by the law, what could not be accomplished by the law. What did the law do? The law and the prophets testified to become coming savior. That's without question. We see it all through the Scriptures. The the law testified of a coming Savior and pointed men to Christ. It would show the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. The law would do that. That every mouth might be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. The law was very effective at that. But the law could not make men righteous. The law could not, nor ever did God intend for it. To be the Savior or to justify men. It was always to point men to Christ, and I quote the scripture all the time. Uh, Therefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, Galatians chapter 3, that we might be justified by faith. Here's another scripture from Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? It's one of these rhetorical you know, it might be maybe you scratch your head and say, the law is like this. Enemy of God, almost. It was against the promises of God. Is the law, therefore, then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it was never intended to be the righteousness. Man's performance of the law was never intended to be man's righteousness. Christ is man's righteousness. And it was always that way. And it, sometimes I think people are confused about that. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Romans 8, 3, and 4. For what the law, what does it say? Could not do. For what the law could not do. In that it was weak. How was it weak? Well, when you really examine it closer, it wasn't really a weakness of the law. It was more of a uh it was not intended for that purpose. I guess you would say it was weak through the flesh. That's what the Bible says. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. That's our flesh. Take a good law and you put it on bad men and they can't keep it. They learn very quickly they can't keep it. They might outwardly keep some of the observances inwardly. It says out of the heart of man comes murders and adultery and idolatry and all these kind of things. And so what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is what... So there was a weakness to the law. There was an inability of the law to justify men. There was an inability of the law given on Sinai or any law of God uh, in the Old Testament. Um to to enable men to keep it. That was the law itself can tell you what's right and wrong, but the law can't help you to keep the law. God can. The lawgiver can. The lawgiver who gave a good law can do that. And I want to read this just quickly for time's sake. If you're taking notes, Romans 4, 5 through 8. Clarissa took almost almost my whole message today. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him. That justifieth the ungodly. This is when you do sit there and you think about grace and you just have to put your Bible down and just praise God and thank God. But to him that worketh not but believes, there's faith, believes on him that justifies the ungodly. He takes an ungodly man. Abraham was ungodly, he was a sinner. I'm not saying he was the worst of all sinners or whatever. I'm saying he was a sinner and needed a Savior. We talked about this last week and he believed in the Lord. And the Lord imputed righteousness to him. Him that justifies the ungodly, his faith, that man who believes, is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described it, the blessedness of the man unto whom, the Lord, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute uh, sin. And so we're, we're just describing here this righteousness which is by faith. And this is possible because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. This is what the Bible says, that He fulfilled the law. Therefore, What the law couldn't do, God sending His own Son did do. That the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who believe in Him. Okay? So, the law could not do that, but the lawgiver could and did do that for all who believe. He accomplished at His first coming exactly what He said He would do. There was nothing left undone when Christ came the first time. Amen? Doesn't the Bible say, think not that I am come, Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it? He says, Heaven and earth shall in no wise pass till every jot and tittle of the law is fulfilled. Well, he did it himself. There's not somebody coming after Jesus that's going to finish up what he wasn't able to do. He fulfilled the righteousness of the law. He fulfilled it, and what do we say that word means? I I repeat myself sometimes because I need it, and I repeat myself sometimes because we all need to hear it. When it says he fulfilled the law, it means he satisfied it. He didn't didn't come with the sword and chop it up. He didn't come with a sledgehammer and break the Ten Commandments and say they're foolish. Never. He fulfilled them. He fulfilled every aspect of the law. Not the laws that men added to the law. You know, men added things to the law and then said, this is the law. Obey. Do it. When God never did that. There are things that men added. He didn't fulfill that. Okay? He fulfilled what God gave to be fulfilled as our righteousness. And He did it. He did it for us. And He did it for sinful men. He did it for every sinner. Some believe and some don't believe, but he still did it for them. You understand what I'm saying? He still went to the cross for us. There are people you know that are lost and they're going to be saved. Praise God. We don't know who they are. There's people that you know that are lost and are going to stay lost. But Christ died for all of them. Christ fulfilled the law of righteousness that they might be made righteous if they would believe for all of them and for all of us. He did it. For his great love, the Bible says in Ephesians, wherewith he loved us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses. God promised through the law and the prophets, he foretold of a coming savior that that would be the righteousness of all that would believe, that would save men from sin, the curse of sin, the consequences of sin, the power of sin and people were longing for. Those that were seeking God by faith, even before Jesus came, were seeking for this Savior. There was going to be a reconciler that would reconcile men, sinful men, from the fall, from sin, back unto God and redeem us. We were slaves to sin. He redeemed us. Our Redeemer redeemed us. That's the price that's paid to redeem a slave. That's what redemption is. And He redeemed us. And what do we do? A lot of good work. We make it up to God. I lived 50 years in sin. And now I want to get saved. Boy. No, He paid the price for us. For all who believe. We believe and we give our life to Christ. And we become epistles written by the Spirit of God. Not religious. Not the New Year's resolution. Not joining a religion or a church or even joining a Christian church per se. Coming to Christ. Coming and being born again of the Spirit of Almighty God. God promised all those centuries from the time Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, He promised that prophet. He promised the one that would crush the, serpent, the serpent's head or Satan under his heel. He promised a lamb when when Abraham was offering up Isaac. God will provide Himself a lamb. And He did. And that lamb is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who taketh away the sins of the world. And so this righteousness of God is now imputed to men through Christ. It's re- imputed to all who believe. What does Jesus say in John 3:18? These are good scriptures that all scriptures good, but I mean there's scriptures that, that we need to know, especially on this study. Jesus said, right after he said, "For God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten Son. A few verses later, he says, "...he that believeth is not condemned." Wait, who's not condemned? We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. Who's not condemned, though? He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he believeth not in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's one Savior, one that we have to believe in, Jesus Christ Christ. And we put our faith in Him and He imputes that to man, woman, or child, the worst of all sinners. He imputes to everyone the righteousness of Christ and justifies the ungodly. Only He can do that. And so, uh, never, and I'm going to be moving on, but never ever, Old Testament or New Testament, before the law, during the dispensation of the law, since the law, never has one man ever been saved or justified, been made righteous by the law or by their own good works. Never. At no point has that happened by their own works, nor could a man ever be. It has always been by faith. Abraham believed in the Lord 440 years roughly before the law was given. Uh, I said 2,500 years before Jesus came. To the cross and died to be the propitiation for the sins of the world Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness remember that word counted means imputed that's a great word me I looked it up means to weave together so' needed to just get a paint brush and paint uh you know Abraham Abram used to be uh you know red and and God paints him white and says okay that's right I, I said he's He's justified now. He did he made him just. He imputed it. It means to interpen- interpenetrate, to weave together. He actually worked righteousness in this man to where he was righteous. And then God, even though he was a sinner, God counted him as being righteous because he had done some work in his life to make him righteous. He had done something in his heart and life. And that's just an awesome thing of God. Again, it's not just joining a church. It is a work of God inwardly. And this is what we're talking about today. We're, uh, so let's go back to the verse we opened with. 2 Corinthians three three. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And so this is is life in Christ. This is a result of the new birth in Jesus. And it speaks of that nature and the power of this life, the holiness of this life. To me, it speaks of everything that Christ is in us and what He's doing us. The joy of the Lord. It speaks of the Christ-likeness in our life. And y'all, everything is... It's not outward, it's inward, right? It's not outward, but it's inward. In the sense that where did he say it was written? On the fleshly tables of our heart. Not on tables of stone. This is the difference. This is the difference of the new birth. It's the hidden man of the heart. Now, let me ask you this. Will the new birth affect outwardly a man's life or a woman's life? Absolutely. I mean, if Christ is working in me, That will be manifest back out through my life. May take time, whatever. But whatever is taking place—a real work of God in my heart, giving me a new heart and born again by the Spirit of God—that will take place. Maybe in the way I dress, maybe in the the countenance or the expression that's on my face. Uh, But it will, it will, it will have an effect outwardly. But it comes from inside out. It's not the other way around. It's not from outward in. And so where it's written, where this epistle or the letter of, of Christ is written, it's by the Spirit of God, and it's in the hearts of men. In the hearts of all who believe. All that have been saved by grace through faith. All that have been made new in Jesus. And so what He's written on it, our hearts, what has He written? If we're the epistle of Christ. Saved man. A woman. An epistle of Christ. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God. Not on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart. What is, has been written there? Well, it would be the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. For one thing, we know. It would be, I believe what's written in our hearts is going to look exactly like Jesus. And I believe what's written in our hearts is going to look exactly like what we can read from our Bibles the Word of God. It's not going to be something different. It's not going to be something different. It's going to be the working of the Lord in our lives. God has always been after the heart of man. The law was to bring men to Christ. The law was not an end in itself. Let me do this, do this, do that, do that, hopefully when I die I'll go to heaven. The law was to point men to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And that is in a relationship with the Lord. It's not just a justification separate from Christ. It brings us into a relationship with the Lord. But God be thanked. Romans 6.17 But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Well, That's all of us. We were the servants of sin. But what are we thanking God for? But you have obeyed from the heart. You have obeyed from the heart. You just didn't obey outwardly. It's like you know, uh, uh, two siblings, you know, two brothers in a fight, and dad, dad says, "All right, now hug each other and make up now." Okay, I'm sorry, you know, and they really don't mean it at all. Uh, they they just get mom to get mom or dad off their back and do what they're supposed to do. So they can go fight again. Uh, but he says, "You have obeyed from the heart that form of sound doctrine which was delivered unto you." She's, Salvation comes in and there's an obedience from the heart to be saved. We we said we have to confess with our mouth, believe in our heart. And we obey God from the heart. He can tell. He knows the difference if it's from our heart or not. Obey from the heart. The heart is what the Lord is after. The heart is where He is written in the life of a believer His laws. It's... The heart of, is what's been made new in Christ. Our bodies one day will be made new. But the heart has been made new right now when we got saved. And that is the obedience that counts with God. And it does matter. I'm not saying we always feel like it. I'm obeying from the, obeying the Lord from the heart. It does not mean we always feel like it. It does not mean that our flesh always cooperates. You know, it's really excited about it. It does mean from our heart, by faith, we know there's in the keeping of God's commandments, there's great reward. He is worth it, His blessings are worth it. I'm His child. I may not feel like His child today, but I am His child by faith, and I'm going to obey the Lord. So don't get feelings in the heart necessarily confused, but we do obey the Lord from the heart. That is where He is written uh, upon our hearts. And so, uh, just listen to this Matthew fifteen eight. This people, Jesus said, draweth nigh unto me with their mouths. Now, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. But this people, the people that lived in Jesus' day, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, that, that's not going to cut it, is it? They draw nigh, nigh to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. That's like those in Matthew 7 that said, many will come unto me in that day and saying, Lord, Lord, did we not? Cast out demons in your name. Prophesy in your name. Do many wonderful things in your name. Did we not? They're going to say that. I don't know if they did or didn't. There's a debate back and forth whether they did. I don't know that they did. But they're going to say that they did. Lord, Lord. Why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Why? Because they did not from the heart. Obey the Lord. They didn't from the heart trust in the Lord, and so the Lord knows the difference. An obedient heart, a heart that loves God above all, that obeys Him out of love. Jesus said, uh, "In this, uh, in this, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments." A lot of people don't associate those two things. Oh, if it's love, it's love. Obedience is something legalistic, and this is one reason we're doing this six-part study on the law. Okay. Because we think of love as being love, it's just warm and fuzzy, and it's it's unconditional, which it is. God's love is a perfect agape love. He loved us while we were sinners. Okay, but we somehow think love God is love, which He is, but that love and obedience to Christ, who loves us, those two things don't, don't mix those together. But God mixes them together. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. If you love me, keep my commandments. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And this is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? Grievous. They're not a burden. If I love God, they're not grievous. Does that mean they're always easy? No. Does that mean we always feel like it? No but they're not grievous. They're not burdensome because He is worth it. Because the one who by faith is keeping the commandments of Christ sees Christ and is strengthened by the Lord to do it in the first place and loves the one that they're serving. So it's not grievous. Remember those two servants of David? I forget which battle it was and David just kind of under his breast says, oh, I wish I had some water from the well back in, was it Bethlehem? Or I, I wish I had some, well, that would be some sweet tasting water right now. Hot and sweaty and in a desert place fighting. And two of his mighty men, they're, they're mentioned in the list of his mighty men, they just heard him and said, we're going to get that for our king. You just sit tight, David. And they, they break through a whole line of the Philistines, they go back to Bethlehem, they bring him some water, they break back through the lines, they bring it to him, and he pours it out. and Says, "Oh, I can't. This, I can't drink it. You guys risk your life to bring me that water." The point to me is that if you'd have said, "Was that a real bother for y'all?" No, sir, it wasn't a bother. That's our King wanted that. So when you're saved, it's not a burdens th- burdensome thing to read the Bible to find out what your holy, loving God requires, and then to say, "Lord, I'm, I fall short of that. Would you help me?" I really want to serve You, God. I really want to please You. It's not a bother to me. What does Jesus say? And this is the Spirit of Christ that's in us. Psalm 40, verse 8, a messianic prophecy. <clears throat> I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, yea, Thy law is where? Within my heart. That's where we obey from. Not like those that draw nigh to God with their mouth, and honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from God. But like Jesus, the epistles of Christ, he's done an inward work. There's something written on our hearts. And it says, I, Jesus says, I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Do you say it's always easy? No. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. There's some mystery there. I can't say I understand it all perfectly. Because they're one. He and the Father are one. But still, going to the cross was not pleasant. It was not going to be pleasant. Even for the Son of God. He had a physical body. The Word became flesh. He humbled Himself and took on the form of a servant. It hurt. The, the, the ripping the beard out hurt. Everything that He went through hurt. And the worst of all, in that one moment when He who knew no sin became sin and the Father turned, as it were, and that maybe for the probably the only time in the history of forever, there was a, 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 a breaking of fellowship Again, a mystery. I don't claim to understand it all. Between the Father and the Son, why have you forsaken me? It quickly passed. It's finished. He died and rose again in power. But what's my point is that doing the will of God is a delight when it's from the heart, even though it's difficult. You go work, right? Work can be hard. You know, but we don't necessarily delight in it, but we do it. Well, that's just the nature of the job. You know, I'm doing this at work. I'm doing this uh, yard work. I'm, I'm building a new shed in the back of my house. It's hard. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's not necessarily fun, but you do it because you see a reward in it. Well, Jesus, there's the joy of the Lord. I delight to do Thy will, O oh my God. And if, if we don't, we don't need to kid ourselves and paint on a smiley face. We need to go to the altar and say, Lord, in this area... I'm really struggling to be joyful in serving you. I'm going to keep serving you by your grace. But I'm struggling right here. Would you help me? I know it's a heart issue. See, we know these things. I know it's a question in my heart. I know that if I was more like Jesus, I would be happier in doing this. I know if I was more like the Lord. I know if I was more dead to myself and alive to Christ, this would be more joyful for me to obey you in this area. Would you help me? he'll help us I'm not saying how quickly I'm not saying it's going to take two seconds but I'm saying he'll help us I want, I want to read this verse this this is a great verse now this is in Deuteronomy chapter 5 back here in Moses day when he's living and he wrote this and he, the Lord says oh that there were such a heart in them speaking about Israel God says oh that there was such a heart in them He's always been after the heart, y'all. That they would fear me and keep all my commandments. Well, I want them to have a heart where they fear me and I want them to have a heart, a heart where they keep all my commandments. He's not interested in a bunch of robots. He could have made a bunch of robots if that's all he wanted. That's why he's wooing someone. You know, like a, a guy that's trying to get a girl to like him and, and marry him one day. He's going after her. He's going after her. And, and Jesus, in a sense, came to seek and save the lost. He's drawing us to Himself because He wants that heart. And the heart can't be gotten by force. It cannot be. Mm-hmm. If it could be gotten by force, every lost person you know and are praying for would be saved. Because God would have forced them. He's not willing that any perish. But all come to repentance, right? But He's after that heart. And He says, Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear Me and keep all My commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. He's always been after the heart. Not an outward commandment. And so we'll get back to this real quickly on the law. How we tie this into the law of Moses, given to and through Moses on Mount Sinai about 1,500 years before Jesus came. Christ fulfilled it. So this law was outward. It was a good law, but it was outward. The Ten Commandments, for example. Now, if you read your Bible, there's a lot more than the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. Start reading chapters 21, 22. I am happen to be reading that this morning. And it talks about uh, if a man's ox pushes somebody and it kills him. What do you do with the ox? I mean, there's laws about everything. What, what, you know, what, if, what if a thief is caught in the act of stealing? We well, don't kill him. You, he, if he's caught and he still has what, what's been stolen, he gives that back and he has to double it and make it up. If he stole your ox and then he found later that he killed your ox and ate it, then that's a different story. There were, I, my point is this, that the law was a, a lot. But the law was outward. It was like written. And I kind of picture it like hanging over men's heads. Okay? All right, what was that law about leprosy again? Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, I got to do the, the leprosy law because I think I might saw some kind of funny looking spot in my forehead. Right? Got to do the leprosy law. Quarantine, like for COVID. Uh, call the priest. And go, uh, what was that law for? Uh, uh, you know, how am I to treat the, the poor again? Or what about my slave if my, uh, my, my servant, hired servant, wants to stay here with me and he got married while he was in my house and I gave him his wife? How, what's the law for that? Uh, It was written, whether it's tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, or it was written as outward. And it was, I kind of picture this, hanging over men or projected upon men. Now God's law, not not man's law, but God's law was good. We've talked about it. And if you ever question this, look at Romans chapter 7. For the law was good, and the commandment was good and just and holy. For we know that the law was, was spiritual or is spiritual. That means it has its origins in the Holy Spirit. So the law is good, holy, just, and spiritual. But I am carnal soul to understand. So it can't help. It can't help me with my carnality. It can't help me with my nature of Adam. It can't help me move from being that to being righteous. It can point me the right way to go and show me my desperate need for the Lord. And I get about halfway through this thing or a quarter of the way through trying to keep this law. And I say, forget it, God. I can't do it. I cannot do it. The law is really good at that. But it can't justify me. So what's happened for the believer is not just that Christ comes along and says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. He has written in our hearts by the Spirit of the living God. The spirit who indwells us. The law could not help the person keep the law. It was under it. And the Bible says that the, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.2 has made us free from the law of sin and death. I don't think the law of sin and death is necessarily speaking of the law. I think there's a law of sin and a law of death that Romans 8, chapter 7 talks about. But what, what does the law have to do with us now, so to speak?
1: Is the law,
0: any of God's laws, prior to Christ's coming? I'm a, New, I'm a New Testament saint. I'm going to tell you for the sixth time in six studies so far, we're not under the law. I'm not trying to put you under the law. I sure don't want to put myself under the law. So is there any relevance, I guess you would say, of the law for a New Testament believer? I believe yes, when we talk about the moral aspect of the law. The moral law. uh, That we are still, I say it all the time, the Lord still feels the same about murder as He always did. Before the law of Moses was given, 3,500 years ago, Cain killed his brother Abel. He sinned. It was murder. It was wrong. During the law. Remember, the law makes sin exceeding sinful. The law highlights sin. But it doesn't help the sinner. But, but the moral law of God, my point is the moral law of God has been constant. God is holy. We've been studying the different attributes of God. And he says, Old Testament and New Testament, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. And how? In all manner of conversation. That's how we act. That's daily life. Living lifestyle. So, God, now that we're in Christ, the, the moral law of God, not the civil law, not the ceremonial law, not the sacrificial laws, not the law of the Sabbath. Okay? The laws. But the moral law of God, in other words, his character, his holiness, his nature, how men are to be, uh, how men of God are to live and act and walk and approach God, how we're to treat one another, how how we're to forgive because we've been forgiven, how we're to love our enemies. The moral law of God doesn't change no matter what era you lived in. It doesn't matter if you were Adam or Eve or Moses and Sam, or Samuel or David or Isaiah or John the Baptist or one of the 12 disciples or Stephen or, or Timothy or George Mueller or D.L. Moody. The, the, the moral aspect of who God is and what he it is, expects from men and what he's working in men by his spirit is going to be consistent. I am the Lord. I change not. I'm not putting you under the law. I'm saying that is what part of that of the law. I believe the moral law is written on our hearts. Listen, not as a means of attaining salvation. This is not a little side note. I really want you to get this. When I say that the moral law of God, I believe is still the moral law of God. And he still holds us accountable to that. Not as a means of attaining righteousness or justification or salvation. It has never been by the law. Christ is the end of the law to everyone for, for righteousness to everyone who believeth. Everyone who believes. But this is... Uh, it's fundamental that we understand that and grasp that. This is where people... It's on that little point. Okay? Again, this is... I keep saying, why did God... I believe the Lord led me to this study and it put it off for about literally four or five years of my life to get to this point where He says, okay, now teach it now. Study it and teach it now. For about four or five years, I had a legal pad, a yellow legal pad like this, and I, would, I had the law series written at the top. And, and every now and then, I'm reading through my Bible and, oh, that's going to go in that series one day. I jot that Scripture down. I'm reading a book by D.L. Moody. What This is going to go. In that series one day. And before, you know, long, there's like seven parts to it. And, but the reason I think is because there is such a confusion in our day about the law. And I've described both camps, so I apologize for being redundant. And there's this camp over here that we would call, or that one would call a legalist, a Pharisee. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You're trying to earn acceptance by Almighty God, by your good works, by obeying all these things, okay? Don't steal, don't covet, don't bear false. You're trying to earn your way by keeping that. That would be wrong, (laughs) okay? Look at the church of Galatia. Look at every scripture I've quoted. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Period. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It gives you knowledge of sin that doesn't justify you. So, let's say somebody trusts in Christ as Lord and Savior, like the the Galatians. They were real believers. A false teacher, teaching teachers came in, the Judaizers. And they tell them, You've got, to be, you've got to go back under the law. You have to go back under it. I don't even know if they were ever under it. But you've got to go under the law and keep it. Believe it in Jesus. That's great. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. But it's a combination of Christ for righteousness and your good works according to the law for righteousness. combination of Christ and your good works for justification. And that is a lie. And it's a false doctrine. And it has its roots in hell. Those false teachers, I don't believe those were saved people, the Judaizers. They should have cast them out on their heads. That's why he starts that epistle, Paul does, by saying if me or an angel from heaven comes and preaches to you any other gospel, let him be accursed. I say unto you again. Or if me or an angel from heaven comes and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. They didn't do that. They should have done it. My point is, they got sidetracked big time. Paul was so concerned, it was almost like he had to rebirth them again. It says with the Gospel. And I'm paraphrasing. So that's, a, that's one camp that would be under the law. And I guess that's the phrase that we use: Under the law. Performance-based religion for salvation, for justification, and so forth. For acceptance by God, for heaven. Then you got this camp over here that says, don't ever mention to me a law. I don't want to hear any law. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm I'm, uh, I'm just free to do what I want to do. Because God is a God of love. Jesus is love. And I'm saved by grace through faith. And so, you know what they'd have to do? They'd have to close their Bibles up and leave it and go read some other books. Because the New Testament talks a lot about obedience to Christ. I want to just read this real, real quickly. You have heard... Guess who said this? I know you know. Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill it. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you. Jesus is saying it unto you and me. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever sh- shall say to his brother, Raca. That basically means calling him a fool. Uh, uh, scoundrel shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of the hell of hellfire. What are we saying here? Jesus didn't take the law and make it irrelevant. He took it and writ it, writ it, wrote it. The moral aspect writ it uh, upon our hearts. The hearts of believers. He didn't take it and make it irrelevant. Not for salvation. Not for justification, not to please God, but he says you're part of a new kingdom. This is a good way to look at it. And are the laws of this new kingdom. This is how people in this kingdom act. The Bible says in Colossians that we were, uh, that God has translated us from the kingdom of darkness. Sin, darkness, we're the God of this world. We didn't even know it, but we were serving him. It says in Ephesians. He translated us. Pick this up. Move us and put us in a whole nother kingdom over here. The kingdom of my dear son. This kingdom is different than that kingdom. Not just because I said I believe in Jesus. It's different because the whole holiness of it. The whole aspect of it. The king is different. And the subjects of this kingdom are going to be. They're born of the spirit of their king. And that new nature is going to be like him. And that new nature is described in the moral law. What is it like? Oh, we're going to love our neighbors. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to you know, love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. This is what I'm talking about when I say the moral law of God. What Jesus talked about here in the Sermon on the Mount and so forth. We don't do those in order to be saved. Who did the Lord write His laws on their heart, on those that are saved? So you're already justified by faith. And then he writes on our hearts. This is your part of my kingdom. In our hearts. And we obey God from the heart. And so we, we walk with the Lord. We walk with the Lord. Let me just read a, a thing here. Uh, a quote I got from a commentary. Believers are subject to the law of Christ. The moral law. Okay. And I'm quoting. The moral law aspects uh, are not irrelevant to the law of Christ. They are included In it. If anything, they are intensified. So this is why I'm saying the errors. Those that are under the law and think they have to, to keep the law in order to please God and make it to heaven. And those that say, I'm already saved by grace. I don't want anything to do with laws and obedience. And if you try to preach it to me, then you're a Pharisee. And if you just read certain passages in the Bible, you're a Pharisee. And if you say abstain from all appearance of evil, you're a Pharisee. You're a legalist. If you say men ought always to pray and not to faint, and I'm not praying like I should, and God convicts me of it, and I say I need to pray more. God help me. You are trying to serve God in your flesh. You ever heard phrases like this? I know that you have. And so, this is is the two aspects, and they're both wrong. God has taken... His moral law of who He is. His holiness. His na- nature of Christ. And He has written it in the hearts and lives of those that He has redeemed. So we're about to close, but our other major Scripture i saved for the end. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8. So we could really read a whole passage here, but for time's sake, I think it's answered in one Scripture for our purposes today. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. This is, this is uh, quoted from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I really want you to read it. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at it with me. I will put my laws, plural, in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Does he say here, this is the covenant I will make in those days. My law will become irrelevant and have nothing to do with them. I will put my laws. I don't believe at all. From the Bible, I don't believe at all. He's talking about the ceremonial laws. You know, like the garments the priests would wear, any of that stuff. We have a better priest, a better priesthood, better sacrifice. All that is talked about in Hebrews. We're not part of that. Jesus wasn't a priest after the Levitical order, but that of Melchizedek, an eternal priest and eternal priesthood. We know that. There's, but but he says, "This is the law, the covenant I'll make with Israel, the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws." in their mind and write them in their hearts. So it used to be on tables of stone, let's say. It used to be on tables of stone, outwardly. Can't get in there. It's just a piece of stone. Can't get it in there. But by the Spirit of God, He's written it in our hearts. I always think about Tori, e. Torrey. And I'm, I love Ari e. Torrey. If you've ever read him, he was he and Dion Moody were like contemporaries and he was a little younger than Moody. took over... Uh, they ministered together. When Moody died, Tory took over uh, the, the Bible school and everything. Wonderful, wonderful man of God. Spirit-filled believers, both of them. Uh, and he says, he gives a little bit of his testimony. He says, before he knew the Lord, he said, I, I used to love the world. And the world for him, he says, was horse races, uh, card games, m- theaters, going to worldly you know concerts and so forth. He says, and I hated the house of God and the things of God before I was saved. He goes, As soon as I got saved, I detested all those worldly things, and I love the gathering of God's people together. It's a change of heart. It's not Ten Commandments imposed on you. They're so heavy, they're about to crush you. It is the grace of God. It is the Spirit of Almighty God. It's written, He has written it upon our hearts. And He calls us to obey Him and to walk with Him. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did God write on the believer's hearts the law of manna? You know, gather this much every day and on, on the day before the Sabbath. And gather. No, He didn't write that on our hearts. It's not the civil law that He wrote upon our hearts. Did He write on our hearts the law of the Passover? You know, they eat unleavened bread for for seven days. No, he didn't write that on their hearts. The holiness of God. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Not committing adultery. Not lying. Not bearing false witness. Not coveting. Forgiving those that have wronged us. Loving our enemies, even though they don't love us back. That's what we're talking about. That's what he said. This is the part of that new covenant that I'm going to write in your minds and in your hearts. Amen? That's what He's always been after. So the law is not just... Let me, let me drop kick it across the parking lot because it's stupid. He has written His moral laws upon our heart and it represents Christ. It's His nature and this new nature of who and what we are to be in the Lord. And so I'm going to close with one more quote and then a Bible verse. D, if you want to come up, this new covenant that we just spoke of. He'll write His laws in our minds and our hearts. Put them in our hearts. This new covenant is an unconditional covenant of grace. It's unconditional to all who believe. That would be the only condition, right? Believing. It imputes righteousness where there is none. This new covenant in Christ imputes righteousness where there is none. And then guess what it does? Just like Clarissa read from Titus 2, the grace of God teaches us, right? This new covenant, it teaches men to live righteously and, hallelujah, empowers them to do so. So God's law is written in our hearts, not just outwardly on tables of stone, but on the fleshly tables of the heart. The same spirit of the living God, Colossians, I mean, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, that wrote it on our hearts, enables us to do it. By the Spirit of God, we can walk in a way that glorifies God. We can walk in a way that's biblical, New Testament Christianity. And guess what's going to look like? In Rachel, with well, the works the Lord's doing in Rachel's life, in Reynolds' life, in Peter's life, it's going to just look just like the same Jesus that's in my life, Amen. and the same Jesus that's in Ari e. Tori's life, is in heaven now, and the same Jesus that was in Paul's life. You understand the point? It's that's. That's because He's written it in our hearts. It's not me trying to keep a bunch of commandments sweating, saying, I hope I do good enough and when I die, my good outweighs my bad like in Islam, right? I hope to catch Allah on a good day and He's in a good mood that day when I die. It's about what their, their hope is. But I've trusted in the Lord. He's already made me righteous. He's already justified me. And now I want to please Him the rest of my life, I'm going to please God. i want to please God. Oh, what a Savior. He's already saved me. I know how horrible a sinner I was. I know how horrible I've been since I've been saved. But He has saved me, past tense. And He has written His laws in my heart. And I'm going to please Him. Because they are laws that are in my heart. The same laws He's put in your heart. I'm going to close with this scripture. Y'all stand with me this morning talking about the law written in the heart of the believers. Not all the mosaic law, the moral law of God, which is constant. I'll read this from Ezekiel. And you just even now, if you want to come to the altars and pray, please find a, a place to pray. Just worship our Savior for a little while. If you're struggling in some area, say, I know I should be doing this. Your Word says I should. And I'm struggling doing it. I'm struggling doing it with joy and happiness and thanksgiving. Maybe you're having a hard time being thankful. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving those that have hurt you. Maybe you're having a hard time loving your enemies. Whatever it may be, those aren't requirements of God. He's not going to excuse you from that. He's going to require it of you. But He is going to enable you and me to do it. We need to call upon the Lord and ask Him for strength. Ezekiel 36, I'm close with this. A new heart also will I give you. Hallelujah. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit, that's His Spirit, will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. I've had one, a stony heart of flesh. I'll take it away. Who's going to do that for us? God. I will do that. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. And you shall keep My judgments and do them. So there are judgments. There are statutes. They didn't go away. Statutes. They didn't go away. But the power to do them comes from a new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit within us. I'll put a new heart in you. I'll take away that hard heart of stone and I will cause you to keep my judgments and do them. What a savior. He didn't just save me and bring me to heaven. He saved me and made me like Jesus. He's making us like Jesus. He lives inside of us. He helps us. No other religion or no other God can boast of such a thing. Let's just worship the Lord for a few minutes before we go this morning.